Hey, everybody. Before we start this episode, just a couple of things that I want to get into. This is a slightly different episode than we normally do. I found my audio recorder. I took it with me to the Joy Cinema. We're going to talk about Weird Wednesday and just kind of do a, a shorter episode today. But it's still got, you know, the monster content and especially some luchador content. I know it's not May. I know it's not Lucha de Mayo. I did it, didn't I? Lucha de Mayo. Wow. Anyway, uh, so I took the, the recorder with me to the joy to talk about a movie called The Witch's Attack. Yeah, throughout most of the episode, I talk about how I don't know what the movie is, what the title is, and all that. But yeah, it's The Witch's Attack. It's a Santo film. It's a good time. You're about to hear some music from the dead Elvi. It's one of the songs that I like to play whenever we talk about luchador movies here. It's called Lucha Libre. It's from their album, A Taste of Blood. Now, the Dead Elvi a while back gave us permission to play their music here on the show. And this has just become one of the themes for when we talk about luchador movies here. This is an instrumental version that I've created. And then you're going to hear the song in its entirety with lyrics at the end of the episode. We also have a little bit of feedback we're going to get to. So why don't we go ahead and start the music? And get into the rest of the show. Oh, yeah. And we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review. How can I forget that? It's the 50th installment, I think. Is it? It is. The 50th Beta Capsule Review. How can I forget that? I, that uh, Mark, you're not going to get out of the park, man. Okay, here we go. Let's get into the show. Here's the Dead Elvi. Here's Lucha Libre. Here's the Joy Cinema. Here is Monster Kid Radio. a shot and welcome you to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear it's monster kid radio it's episode 537 and i am your writer host producer derek m cook welcome to the show that i'm recording in a slightly different way i actually have my portable recorder and i'm outside walking toward the joy cinema because it is weird wednesday tonight we're watching a santo movie i still can't remember the title but it should be a good time Let's hop on in, buy our popcorn, and go from there. Also, gonna mask up. What's up, man? I'm here to buy popcorn and watch a movie. Good for you. Heck yeah. You want to introduce her or anything? I've never seen this before oh. in my life. Okay. <laughs> I got nothing for you, man. Okay. <laughs> Give me so. a large popcorn and a large Diet Coke with no ice. Okay. Large popcorn, large Diet noise. Yep. So it's the $8 all together. All right. Is uh, Jeff Pullier here? No, is he gonna be? Yeah. Oh, he's not here yet. It's kind of a little bit light. So that for it's, it's, you know, people keep showing up. So. Yeah. You know, they, thank you. Of course. And how've you been? Good. What a great, great shirt. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm fine. Doing the usual stuff. Man. How's, how's life at the joy? It's good. It's been, it's been good. All right. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Thank you. Have fun. Good morning.
Skip a couple dozen of you, Bob. They come after Weird Wednesday, the Joy Cinnamon and Pub. Give it a give yourselves a round of applause. Come on. Come on. Nice to This is like being on a really, 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 really low rung in the professional wrestling ladder. But don't worry, because we're here. You're here, we're here. And more importantly than that, El Santo is here. Yeah. What do we have to say to you tonight? My name is Jeff Thunrock Martin. It's a pleasure to welcome you here tonight. I know, I do know that you have thousands of entertainment options in Tigard. You just come to Weird Wednesday the Detroit Center. So thank you so much again. Give yourselves a round of applause. Where do we go? Oh, tonight, well, let's talk about the movie. Tonight's movie, we have El Santo and Lorena Velasquez. Let's hear it for her, the lovely Italian. Yes. You'll be seeing more of her than you ever thought you would get to tonight in this movie. The movie is Attack on Las Brujas. Or the witch's attack, I don't know if it's supposed to be witch's possessive attack or multiple witch. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Now, can everybody here read? Raise your hand if you can read. Raise your hand if you can hear too, okay? I see a hand not raised. Anyway, tonight's, tonight's movie, just like, it's gonna be like being in college again and being all intellectual and educated and all that crap. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's uh, because it has subtitles, so it's like going to a foreign film. And you can tell your friends and they'll be really impressed. <laughs> or maybe they won't. Anyway, foreign porn film. Anyway, anyway, next week, next week at the Joy, don't let this worry you. I promise, I promise you, it's not a bad sign. We'll be closed Wednesday and Thursday, so we won't have Weird Wednesday. So I know I'm sorry too, but it's just, it's just weird with like release schedules and staffing and stuff like that. But, but don't worry, because we'll, we'll keep building it back up. So anyway, and uh, oh, you might want to tell Darby that we're not open next week too. So I'm not a very good manager. Anyway, anyway, and with that, with that roar of approval from the crowd, I'm going to um, make a triumphant jog up this aisle, and we're going to get this started. Thank you so much. Well, here we go. You heard him. It is Santo in the witches' attack or attack the witches. We'll see how it is. <laughs> From the creators of One Million BC. When dinosaurs ruled the earth, it is the beginning, the darkest age of all. The wings of a monstrous bird darken the sky. A great beast lumbers forth in search of prey. A beautiful virgin is marked for death. It is the beginning, a time of terror, pagan worship, human sacrifice. From across the shadowy abyss of time, Warner Brothers brings you... When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. Rated G, General Audiences. Now, creatures from the grave battle each other to see who or what will be left. See all the remains in War of the Undead. A super triple shock treat starring your favorite ghastly ghouls. See the Prince of Vampires fight the King of Monsters in Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Then watch the maddest werewolf alive slash vampires to pieces in Frankenstein's bloody terror. And of course, see vampires slaughter savage cavemen in horror of the blood monsters. It's triple terror, three times the thrills, torments, and tortures as bloodthirsty demons meet in the massacre of the century. Don't miss the greatest triple shocker of all. It's Dracula versus Frankenstein. Frankenstein's bloody terror and horror of the blood monsters all in one super show. It's war. War of the undead in blood-drenched color. Rated PG. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, 
Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Hey Derek, hey crew, Steve Sullivan here. I know, I was just on the show, but I wanted to call in about the most recent show that I wasn't on and uh, mention a couple of things. One is that I love, love, love the Ultraman stuff. Every week it makes me happy because you guys started running this. I went back and and finished all the first season of Ultraman and then the second series and and I'm working my way through the third series plus Ultra Q, of course. And that was inspired by you guys kind of pushing me forward. So good on you for that. Someone brought up the idea of doing, uh, it would be interesting to do a panel on what DVDs to upgrade or what, what movies to upgrade from one format to the other. I think that's a fabulous idea. If you do it online, I will be happy to do it. The third thing is kind of a weird thing, but here's the thing about me and mentioning nudity and that kind of stuff in reviews. Steve hates censorship. And I said this in that way for a reason, and it is because my first ever published thing ever was a letter to the editor in Marvel Comics that ran, I think, in Incredible Hulk number 178. And it was about them having previously in an issue, there was uh, one of their characters was nude in a tube, and then the whole thing blew up and falling through space. And the next issue came out, and they were dressed. Where's the continuity that ticked me off? <laughs> and it's kind of been a bugaboo mine. So if there are two versions of something, and one is censored and one is uncensored, I always want to see the uncensored thing no matter what it is, pretty much. Even if it's a terrible movie, I'd rather see the uncensored version rather than a cut-up version. So I'm always interested in which version is running. Now, in the case of something like Flesh and the Fiends, there are two different versions for two different audiences, and you can argue one's not censorship and one's not, but I think it's worth knowing kind of which one you're seeing going in so you know which kind of sensibility shaped it. Anyway, that that's my bugaboo. Censorship is one of my things. So I'm always talking about that. Interestingly, the PG version of Invasion of the Body Snatcher 78 was apparently PG to begin with and had the nudity in it. And then they gussied it up for television, I guess. They had the alternate non-nude scenes. So I guess the PG version is still the new version now. And I don't even know if the, the version with the clothed version exists anywhere outside of television prints. Oh, and captured images on the box, which is really strange. Anyway, that's my weird bugaboo. The show's great. Really enjoy it. Figured I'd explain that so people... Hey, Derek, Steve Sullivan here. I know, long time no here. I was just calling as a follow-up on my recent visit to the show. When the show went out, buffbeach.com was not up and running. It is now up and running. It got up like the day after, so maybe early people that just tuned in couldn't find it when they look for it. Anyway, it's there, buffbeach.com. You can go there and find the link to Monster Shark on a Nude Beach, my new serial. And I'm looking forward to hearing people's comments and reviews and stuff like that on it. The uh, new episodes will be out every Friday. So that's pretty cool. I also discovered while I was putting that up that CushingHorrors.com had been down and unreachable or partially reachable, like part of the time for reasons that completely escaped me. I don't know what went wrong. All I know is that I couldn't fix it by myself. I had to get tech support to go in and hook it up. So Cushing Horrors should now also actually work, too. Anyway, I am about halfway through the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers book, and I'm really enjoying it still, and it has developed 
very much like the movie until the last chapter when the characters actually decided they were going to get the heck out of town. So we'll see where it goes from there. But the uh, romance between the two main characters has actually started to develop, and it's really kind of sweet and interesting. It's, I'm really enjoying this book. It's really good. It's weird that at the beginning it said it was set in 1976 or something, and I think that may have been a, a weird typo mistake from a re-release in the 70s, maybe. But anyway, I'd recommend it. Thanks a lot. You do a great show, and I have to mention the Ultraman reviews, which I really love, and I don't remember if I mentioned them before. And, of course, Kenny's Famous Monsters. Love you all. Have a great week. Enjoy the end of the summer. Read about monster sharks. Steve Sullivan, signing off. Hey, thanks for calling in, Steve. So there's a lot to get to. You actually left two voicemails. I tried to stitch them together as best as I could, but your first one got cut off prematurely. So... Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about the Ultraman thing here at the end. Uh, I think the biggest thing, though, uh, that I want to mention or respond to is the whole nudity thing that we're talking about. Now, first of all, I want to make sure that everybody knows that I was just kind of razzing Steve a little bit about the whole nudity thing whenever I show a movie like Horrors of Spider Island over in the Monster Kid Movie Club. And Steve's like, is it nude? Is it nude? I'm just teasing Steve. I know he's not sitting there salivating, hoping to see some black and white 1960s nudity. I know that. And I also know that Steve is very anti-censorship, as am I. I think, though, when it comes to these movies, it's less about censorship and more about knowing the audience. You know, I would like to believe that, at least in the case of the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, somebody that was involved with the film, well, obviously the actress was, but somebody that was involved with the film was involved in shooting the sequence with the clothes on uh you know for me it makes very little difference for most of these films whether there's a nude scene or not and you know most of them there's not anyway it's not until you get into like the 60s or if you go way back pre-code like 30s late 20s where you even see it come up so i get that but yeah like i said i see it less as censorship for some of these things and more as yeah just knowing the audience you know anyway uh, what else did you bring up? Your website. Yeah, I had no idea that buffbeach.com wasn't working. But I'm going to mention buffbeach.com several times here in this conversation. Buffbeach.com is where you're going to want to go to catch up with Steve and his brand new shark project for the Amazon Vela serial Monster Shark on a Nude Beach. So it's for Kindle. However, as I've mentioned in the past, and I, I think I brought it up even when Steve was on here. You don't have to have an actual physical Kindle to read an ebook. It makes it easiest, sure, but you can get the Kindle app for your iPad. You can get it for your computer, for your laptop, for several tablets. It's real easy to access Kindle, even if you don't have the actual Kindle book. This is the only way you can read Vela serials. And this is a really exciting kind of thing. I hope it takes off. I hope it does really well. Uh, because I really like the idea of serialized fiction becoming more mainstream. It's something that used to be done back in the day all the time. Uh, so to see it happen now, I really hope it works out. So buffbeach.com or stephendsullivan.com or sdsullivan.com. That's where you're going to need to go to find everything you need to know about what Steve's up to. Uh, buffbeach.com. Have I mentioned it enough yet? You know, I really ought to start charging you for the number of times that I say buffbeach.com. Tell you what, I'll put it in the show notes. Now, I haven't read Monster Shark on a Nude Beach, but I have read Steve's Fiction in the past. I know what this is about because he's got it on the website. I'm just going to read to you here. Marine biologist Dr. Kenyatta Gregg came to the Caribbean to work in peace and quiet, but despite his best efforts, he finds himself drawn time and again into Isla Bonita's mysteries, a shipwreck full of chemicals caused the local sharks to go berserk in the 1970s. Is that happening again? Or is there something even stranger behind the incidents centered on the island's infamous buff beach so go check that out the beta capsule review by mark matsky one of my absolute favorite things you know i think i've mentioned this before i love when people want to send stuff in for the show whether it was when jerry was sending things in whether it's the famous monsters of Filmland segment or the beta capsule review i love it because well one it means less work for me but also 
it just makes the show more broad and just makes the show better because it's not just my point of view anymore. It's one of the reasons why I love doing shows with guests is I get to have other voices in the mix and that sort of thing. This show's a little bit different in how I'm putting it together because it's less about doing a focused look at a film and more about just the experience of Weird Wednesday. Yeah, I do have Jeff coming in here in a little bit, but, you know, it's, it's a little different. Normally, I just like to have as many voices as possible. So if any of you are interested in having a segment here on the show, drop me a line. In fact, I'm going to have the Monsters in the Machine give you the feedback information, the contact information right now. If you want to contact me about contributing a segment or just have any feedback about anything you've heard on this episode or the previous 535 episodes. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Horrors of Spider Island. Eight beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival. With death, sudden, violent, and horrible lurking in the shadows. Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned, with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. There's been one great disaster after another. First came the theme, then the birds. There was the day the earth stood still. And the day the earth caught fire. If it didn't come from another world, it came from beneath the sea. But now comes the greatest disaster film of them all. The attack of the killer tomatoes. Can nothing stop this tomato onslaught? Yes, disaster fans, killer tomatoes. And the more you try to stop them, the messier things get. (laughs) The attack of the killer tomatoes. With a cast of 3,642, the most terrifying movie ever, says Better Homes and Gardens. See! Attack of the Killer Tomatoes! The first disaster film that's truly a disaster. Rated PG. The fantastic duel of the century, the most ferocious battle in history. The flesh and blood King Kong fights his most incredible enemy, a 60-foot robot King Kong forged of super steel. King Kong escapes. All new, all thrilling in Technicolor. King Kong battles missiles, monsters, and a King Kong of steel. King Kong escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, universal release. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Strange events are unfolding on Mount Omu. First, a school-aged boy discovers a flock of dead birds. Then, a group of women on a day hike are almost overcome by an unusual mist through which they see a gigantic pair of glowing eyes. The reports get the attention of the science patrol, but some members of the team don't take them too seriously, leading Arashi to proclaim that it's a job for women and children. Since that's the case, Fuji volunteers to take the space VTOL and check things out. But to uncover the truth, she'll have to breach the wall of smoke in the 21st episode of Ultraman. 
En route to Mount Omu, Fuji is surprised by Hoshino, who has used his patented hide-under-a-blanket stowaway move to claim a place on the mission. This turns out to be most fortunate, as the two barely escape poison gas monster Kemmler when Hoshino manages to launch the VTOL himself as Captain Muramatsu coaches him by radio. The rest of the science patrol rushes to the scene, but Kemmler proves to be an extremely durable foe. While the squad retreats to consider their options, the monster goes on the rampage, gassing cities, downing passenger planes, and blowing up military tanks with its tail beam. Hayata narrowly avoids certain doom by transforming into Ultraman, but shockingly, his spacium beam is of no effect against Kemmler. It looks like a loss for Ultraman, unless the Science Patrol has any last-minute ideas. Breach the Wall of Smoke has a number of high points, including Fuji's Solo Patrol, Hoshino's heroism, and Hayata's audacious transformation into Ultraman. Kemmler is a tough opponent, and although he's clearly not a turtle, the monster bears a passing resemblance to Gamera, who had made his self-titled debut in 1965 for Daiei Studios. But what's most remarkable is that Ultraman doesn't really win the battle by himself, which not only gives value to the Science Patrol's efforts, but also creates genuine suspense by demonstrating that Ultraman's best weapons might not always work. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera, the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against... Gamera, the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible. drama that shocks you with hair-raising horror. Not one word is spoken on the screen. The strangest motion picture you have ever seen. Daughter of Horror. Welcome to an evening with Karloff, the master of menace in five fright-filled features. Watch breathlessly as the coffin opens to release the Terra Duck. <laughs> it's only a gal and bulls, the raven. 
Join Boris Karloff in the most gruesome day of the undead, Black Sabbath. And there are two more blood-chilling delights. Die, monster, die. And who knows? You may die. Laughing at the comedy of terrors. Five of Karloff's creepiest capers in nightmare colors. And you are invited. Jeff, man, what you think? Oh, that was a lot of fun. So early on, and because you and I have been watching a lot of serials lately, I thought, yes. wow, this music sounds like it belongs in a serial. And then like 15, 20 minutes in, we get a second title card <laughs> for chapter two. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting here in the back corner of the theater so I can look at my screen. And I start trying to look up and see the history of this film. Find anything? Not much that I could read because most of it was in other languages. <laughs> the one English article I found was from our friends at the Bloody Pit. Yeah. Uh, and he just had the same impression that I had. Maybe this was a serial before. So once I'm home, uh, maybe I'll, uh, you know, sitting at a desktop, maybe I'll be able to translate some of those pages and learn a little more uh and throughout the movie at really the music just seemed so much like the serials you know from the, the 30s and 40s that you and i have been watching i loved this movie more than i should have <laughs> i um and i've made it pretty clear santo's not my favorite my favorite's mil Mascaris and blue demon but this movie was dynamic in ways that all the other Santa movies are not. Um, the music is fantastic. It's shot well. The editing is awesome. It's, it's a rich, soap operatic, melodramatic thing that I loved. Um, even the wrestling scene was cooler than I've seen any other Santa wrestling scene. <laughs> the, the inserted wrestling scene was really good really looks staged though yeah even yeah more than a lot of professional wrestling does that there's like one time when he and his opponent just flip each other like 20 times just yeah. back and forth and like wow that was choreographed i mean it looked awesome i can imagine being in that audience and just going nuts yeah and you don't have to imagine it too much because it was a live audience yeah. and the audience was going nuts <laughs> yeah i mean they cut to the audience there's a lot of cutting back and forth uh it is it was clearly staged and this time i mean this was yeah. shot for the film as opposed to shooting a real wrestling match and inserting it into the film uh even the ring it didn't have any give man did you notice that uh not especially uh i didn't notice the floor uh, the ropes had plenty of give yeah uh um i'm gonna I'm going to look this up and record about it at home when I have more time. There's a shot where Arturo is driving mm -hmm. and he sees like weird stuff ahead of him, including the image of a woman on fire. And I saw that and I thought, hey, that's just like in that movie City of the Dead. Oh, wait a minute. That's a clip from City of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> there was another, uh, there was a scene where there was like a crash and a fire and I swear to God, the fire looked like it was coming up through a barbecue grill. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love this, man. This 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 is my favorite Santo film. The fight scenes, outside of the wrestling match, the fight scenes weren't great. Uh, the, so one, one of the pages I did look up in the foreign languages was a Wikipedia page. It doesn't have an English language one. It was French. <laughs> And there wasn't a lot there. There was one word that stuck out, and I could tell from context it had to do with the order of films. So I did look up that one word. Apparently, this was his 12th film. And I'm a little surprised because it seemed primitive compared to some of the others I've seen. Sure. And I have no idea what order they've been in that I've seen. Um, this is at least the third one I've seen in black and white, and I've seen ones in color. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I presume the black and white ones came before the color. Um, 
but it did seem a little more uh, a little more primitive. He wasn't he wasn't acting for the camera as much. Right. And this didn't have some of the frankly some of the tropes I'm getting kind of used to with Luchador movies. Uh, the police were not fawning all over him. There isn't a scientist mm. who has a secret way to contact him all the time. Uh, Arturo is able to get a hold of him, but it just seems through conventional channels. And there's not like a car phone or something to... to but he still had the cool him. car. He still had the cool car. And I was also trying to look up and find out what that was. And all the pages weren't in English, so I still don't know what the car is. <laughs> well, I'll do a little bit more dive, uh, deep dive at home, but... Uh... Dude, this, I'm so glad we did this. I, yeah. I, you know, I was a little hesitant, and I know you were too, but this is awesome. It's bad for the joy, but I feel kind of good there wasn't a big crowd here. Um, just for those that are listening to us, Derek and I are both worried about the Delta variant. Oregon is bad right now. Yeah, so this is going to be my last in-person Weird Wednesday probably for quite a while. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same way. Um, Jeff and I are actually wearing masks right now while we're recording, so if we sound a little muffled. Yeah, we're, we're the only two in the auditorium at this point. We're still wearing our masks. Yeah, what is that about? Well, we're, we're being careful. Yes, exactly. Um, hey, if Santa can wear his mask all the time, so can we. That's what we need to do. I see, and I, I told you, man, I wanted to bring my luchador mask, not my full mask, but my, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mask that's, um, I think it's... Hurricane Romero's style. I, I don't remember, but I grabbed the wrong mask <laughs> on the way out the door. <laughs> this was fun, though, and I'm, I'm glad we did it. And it's a nice way to kind of cap off until the Delta variants dealt with, you know? I just hope the Delta's the end and we don't end up hiding from Epsilon. I'm not even going to put that out into the, the into the ether. I don't want that to happen. No power to that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Viva La Santa. Or Viva El Santo. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, I did notice the captions were kind of all over the place. Um, we had like some British spellings of some words. Yeah. Uh, at least at one point, the caption said Santa instead of Santo. I noticed that too. Uh, a, couple, a couple of missed words, and uh, yep. it was it was obviously a fan subtitle project. Uh, well, I don't know. It had a website for a company. Yeah, it's a company that sells bootleg okay. products. So. <laughs> Is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Dude, this is my favorite Santa movie of all time. Yeah, we, we, were, I loved we it. were just recording for the podcast, so. I loved it. Well, is, when was it made? Because the box says 68, but it can't be that late. Right? You know, you were trying to look something up. Do you remember? Uh, let me get back to IMDb and see what it says. See that it, I just don't know. I think it's more than early here. Well, it's black and white. Yeah, you would assume. It is 68. Huh. I think it's really 68. Yeah, well, but considered the movie they saved it was probably made, maybe, uh-huh. and released. Sure. Yeah. It could be like a couple years or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's entirely uh, possible to have been filmed in 66 or 67. When, see when Santo versus the Vampire Women was made. Because this is going to be around then. He's he's so young and he's he just looks different. And Yeah. That, that's something else we were commenting on was uh, the, the, the how early this seemed. Yeah, well, did he mix up his soul adventures with his teaming with Blue Demon? Well, that's he, or was, did he all the solos first and then decide to bring in the Blue Demon later? No, I'm sure there are... I, I'm just guessing, but yeah. I, I would... Yeah, the Blue Demon was a lot later. He's later, mm. but I, I bet there are Santos solo movies. Uh, Vampire Woman was 62. See, so I'm telling you, it's got to be around then. It's got to huh. be... It just it doesn't look six years later. No. He, he, he had a few very busy years there. Look at yeah. What else came out in 68, though? It's going to be something that's in color or something that, you know. I, I don't know. Not a uh, living came out in 68. He had three in 68. Oh, but that's a really, that's... that's Real low budget. Yeah. This is a low budget, but not like Night of the Dead low budget. Yeah, this, this was the middle of three movies that came out for him in 68. What are the other two? Uh, the Treasure of Montezuma and Santo versus the Villains of the Ring. Not seen either one of those. I love that title of that, that yep. one, though. Oh, they're great. The Villains of the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some just compilation of greatest hits. Like, yeah, it does. I mean, like a, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Santo fights a group of phony spiritualists 
who are trying to scam his goddaughter out of her six million peso inheritance. I want to see that movie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that that Seinfeld movie, man. That was dope. Yeah, that was that great. Was so it's cool. All Eric, man. Eric. Thanks, Eric. Right oh, oh, right right Thanks for sharing it. Okay. And it was. I know you don't like to show subtitled movies very much, but it was great hearing Santo's actual voice for yeah, once. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't as deep as I thought it would be. I mean, it's not like it was squeaky, but yeah, I, you know, I pictured well I something. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I wore pants that tight. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it all the time. All the climbing he does in this movie mm-hmm. over walls and cinema, and he does this, and that's him. Yeah. With the cape. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. And the boots and the and the mask, and he's well, still doing this. He should be able to do that because he's a wrestler and he's agile and he's a you know runner. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I well, if, if they made, if they made that movie now, you know there'd be a video game tie-in. Oh sure. Yeah, platform jumper. Well, now I want a Luchador <laughs> video game. Oh, but with, with subtitles, no, I, don't, I it's I I wouldn't joke too many just because it might get a little tedious. But the main reason that I, we don't do more is just that. Uh, Every now and then they'll dip below the, yeah. you know, on the screen. It's like, you know, what I'm saying? It's like, sometimes it's very Asian ones. Yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. they're just they're so low that it's like, on, on our screen, it's like you can't even see it. I did so, think so. it was really funny before the movie when you said that this was going to be like watching a foreign movie. It is a foreign movie. It's like watching a foreign movie. That's a great, that's a great observation. <laughs> well, I meant like an art film. Oh, by the way, I enjoy Werewolves Within so much. Yeah. I rented it from Amazon so JJ can watch it with me at home. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, I should watch it with Jessica because she likes it. Yeah, it's really good. No, she came to see it. Okay. Has that been released on DVD yet? Or, uh, no. I've been looking for it. No, you, you have to uh, pay like seven it's bucks to rent it online yeah. at this point. No, I'd rather with the Blu-ray do that. Sure. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. <laughs> well, I didn't know until the end credits when I saw it here that it's based on a video game. So I looked up the video game, and the video game is actually based on a party game called Are You a Werewolf? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I could totally see that. <laughs> I think my sister has that. Yeah. And not only that, all these actors were comic improvisers, so a lot of the a lot of dialogue them, yeah. was just, you know, hilarious. <laughs> well, and one of them sold cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, he is from, uh, well, perhaps best known for our the vampire TV show, uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yeah. He's oh, the, he's the right. human familiar. Guillermo. Yeah. Um, a couple of people were from Orange is the New Black. <laughs> I need to see it. So, yeah. Right on. Well, thanks for uh, bringing this movie in, man. Yeah. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You know what? While I was putting this episode together and listening to the audio that I recorded at the Joy, it finally clicked for me. I finally realized what it is that I love about going to the Joy. Yeah, the movies are great. Yes, I love the popcorn, but you know, it's really this kind of intangible experience. Now, because I was a film geek <laughs> growing up, I had to take a job at a video store. It was kind of, kind of the rules. If you're a film geek in the 90s, you must work at a video store at some point. And I did. I worked at Blockbuster Video for a couple of years in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and then for a company called Video Library in Bozeman and Livingston, Montana. And, you know, I enjoyed my time there. Yeah, there were times when it was a job and jobs can sometimes not always be the most fun thing to do, you know, especially if you're working at a job like that. But You know, overall, I look back at those times uh, with with fondness. However, if you watch a movie or even the most recent documentary about the last blockbuster, cleverly titled The Last Blockbuster, you can find it on Netflix. I actually highly recommend it. It's a great documentary. A little ironic that uh, the company that helped to put Blockbuster out of business is the online streaming platform for a documentary about the last Blockbuster. But, you know, whatever. It's a good documentary. And one thing that it talks about is this kind of nostalgia that people have for Blockbuster. And 
I find that interesting on a couple of different levels. If I could sidebar just quickly, wasn't it the blockbusters that were viewed as kind of like the enemy, the ones that shut down the mom and pop and the local video stores? I mean, I remember when I worked at the blockbuster video in Cheyenne, Wyoming, there wasn't really that vibe, but anyway, to get back to what I'm talking about, this documentary portrays a lot of fun at these blockbuster videos and they interview former employees who have gone on to have some success of celebrity, uh, either as an actor or a writer or director or whatever. And they talk about all these things they used to do working at the blockbuster video. Now I don't remember any of that. It was a very corporate driven store. There wasn't a lot of fun times to be had. We weren't allowed to bring in people and pretend that they were a celebrity from a particular movie and have them do a signing or anything like that. The most that I remember was doing some sort of local event and having the local radio station send a DJ over and covering it. I don't remember what the event was. I just remember that specifically because that DJ is the guy that introduced me to the Hammer films that I love so much now. But again, I'm starting to sidebar back on track. I don't remember this kind of warm nostalgia. Everybody hangs out talking about monster movies or just movies in general at a blockbuster video. And I don't remember that at any other video stores either growing up. But then I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, when video stores were a thing. You watch a movie, say like Clerks, or uh, there's a video store scene in the movie Scream. And there's this representation of people hanging out at a video store, talking about movies, having this kind of sense of community. And you read about this sense of community. And I didn't have that in the video stores in which I worked growing up. I get that when I go to Weird Wednesday. Whether I'm introducing the movie or not, whether the people there know who I am or not, I feel like I could get into a conversation about not just the movie we just watched, but a related film or maybe even something completely not related at all with the owner, the manager, the person working the concession stands. So shout out to Jeff Punk Rock Martin and uh, to Darby, who is slinging popcorn that night to any of the other patrons of the theater. I wasn't really quote unquote working when I went to the joy on weird Wednesday. I wasn't there to present or, or introduce the film as I told Jeff and you all heard, I'd never seen this movie before. So I was just another guy there to watch a movie. And I felt like I was part of this, this community that had been built around that film and that place for that moment in time. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I love about Weird Wednesday is this instant sense of temporary community. It's special. It only lasts for a little bit for as long as the movie is and maybe a little bit afterwards. And that's that. It's special. It's unique. It's heartwarming. And I'm going to miss it because as you heard Jeff and I talk about, uh, we're a little worried about what's going on with uh, the coronavirus and COVID and everything. I'm here in Oregon and you may have heard that we have a pretty serious situation happening up here with the Delta variant and a lot of the uh, hospitals are already very close to full, if not full. Uh, we are, I believe, the first state, if not the only state still to have a mask mandate back in place. It's pretty rough. And because of that, I'm hesitant to go to a lot of movies. I, I just, I've had an opportunity to go to a couple of films since that weird Wednesday and I've skipped it. There's a movie coming up here soon, a big Marvel movie coming up here soon. And I'm not going to go to the theater to see that either. I just worry. I have a bunch of health issues and concerns and I love the joy and you know, I'll still support them by buying popcorn from them on Friday nights. But that's about as far as I can go with that until things are a little bit more under control. So I'm going to miss that with Weird Wednesday. I mean, I get some of that here. I get some of that here on the podcast. I get some of that with the Monster Movie Club and the Monster Kid Astronomy Club. Uh, you know, it means a lot to have you guys and gals, to have you friends, have the gang surrounding us and surrounding everybody and just providing this kind of instant sense of community that's what makes these movies special to me. And I suspect it's part of the reason why these movies are special to all of you too. 
So let's talk a little bit about the movie, The Witch's Attack. I now can say that I've seen this Santo movie, and I mean it, uh, still about a week removed. It's my favorite Santo movie. There's just something really cool about it. I did a little bit of research on it. Now, there's not a lot that I could find online, and I do have the Mexican monster movie and luchador movie filmography book by Bob Cotter, but it is in a box right now, and I didn't have access to it before recording this episode or going to the movie the last week or so. So, you know, I just had to do some quick research. And what I'm able to pick up is that, yes, this was really shot like a series, whether it was a TV series or a series of uh, installments for a serial, because the studio that made this movie didn't really have permission to make a feature film. Now, at least that's what I was able to pick up online with my limited research. So that's why it feels that way. And I think that actually benefited the movie. It also feels very different from a lot of the other Santo movies of the time. You heard Jeff Punk Rock Martin talking about that earlier. And one of the reasons for that is that this is the first film that Santo made uh, as a, a Santo vehicle for this studio. He had been working with a different studio beforehand. There were some contract disputes. He jumped ship, started working for this other studio that had a much lower budget. And that might be why it was shot in black and white as opposed to color and why some of the things just look a little more uh, limited. Although with the movie, I feel like they really worked the heck out of what they had. I really enjoyed the locations. There was one location they kept going back to, but they kept redressing it a couple of times because sometimes the bad guys would be there, the, the henchmen of the witches, or sometimes it'd just be a bunch of cobwebs. You know, they'd make it look a little bit different. And I did appreciate that. And you all know who I am. You all know me. I respond really well to these low-budget efforts. Years ago, when I was doing the Mail Order Zombie podcast, somebody actually put together a, a chart, like from a role-playing game, a modifier chart. His name was Randy, and I actually found it quite funny because he included all these earmarks and tropes of low-budget movies and how those earmarks, if these movies had these indicators that indicated that they were low-budget efforts or independent efforts, they would slowly creep up higher on my rating scale. And, you know, he's kind of right. I make a lot of excuses and I open my heart to these low budget efforts and this is one of them. And it's one of the reasons why I loved it. Now I did confirm that yes, they do have a shot from horror hotel or city of the dead in the movie. And it's not the only influence from that film in this movie. At one point, Santo does have a big cross that he's hugging, hucking around. And <laughs> I just got this vision of, the guy at the end of Horror Hotel or City of the Dead kind of hunched over the cross in the graveyard. And anyway, it just made me think of that. Also, they have a lot of people set on fire, which you have at the end of City of the Living Dead. It looks better in City of the Living Dead, but, you know. Now, one thing that I did suspect, and I, and I can't confirm this. I can't verify this yet. I'd like to do a little bit more research on it. The music in this film was so much better than anything that I've heard in a Santo movie. It actually felt genre appropriate, not just appropriate or suitable for a luchador movie, not just some bed music to put under everything, not just something that sounded like somebody strangling an ice cream truck. It actually felt genre specific and I really liked it. And I suspected it came from some other source. I can't confirm that. That's just the feeling that I get, especially knowing that they lifted a shot from horror hotel. I don't know. If anybody else out there knows, I would love to know. You maybe call in and write it in or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. And the wrestling match, this article that I'm reading does seem to imply that the wrestling match came from some other Santo production because of some of the people that are in the corners of the various wrestlers, you know, kind of like their seconds or their managers being people that are playing other roles in the film itself. And that could very well be the case a lot of times. And I, and I try to communicate this to anybody who's never seen these movies before. And I don't know if I ever really make sense, but a lot of times the wrestling scenes are put in here, not just to pad the length of the movie, but back then, not everybody had access to an actual wrestling match. Not everybody could actually go to an arena and watch a luchador brawl or, or a bout or anything like that. So the only way to really get some of these matches in front of people was to put them in movies. And then the movies can be put in front of people. So 
you know, it's a weird way to kind of distribute the matches, a unique way to distribute them, I suppose I should say, as well as a unique way to preserve the matches. Because a lot of times, a lot of these older bouts, there are no records of them. There's no film and certainly no video of any of this stuff. So the only place you have it are in these movies. That said, I still really liked the wrestling match in this movie. I felt it was very appropriate, staged really well, and really highlighted the work that these athletes, and yes, I called them athletes, put in when it comes to putting on a wrestling match. Yes, they're scripted, choreographed, whatever. But there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff, man. <laughs> a lot of a lot of work. Oof. I will disagree with Jeff. I did like the fight scenes that took place outside of the ring. It really highlighted what Santo could do as a crime fighter slash superhero, as opposed to just a wrestler. Yeah. He was doing a lot of wrestling moves and that sort of thing, but I really liked it. You know, a lot of times these wrestling moves happen so fast that you can't really kind of, you know, get it or see it, you know, and they repeat them so many times you're able to get it. I also really liked how Santo manifested the cross when he wasn't lugging the actual cross with him. I don't want to spoil that moment, but it's pretty darn cool. Like I said, the witch's attack, one of my absolute favorite luchador movies, definitely my favorite Santo movie that I've seen so far, but villains of the ring. That sounds like a winner too. I'm not going to make myself wait until next May to watch it though. I'm going to track it down and see if I can give it a watch here soon because I'm kind of on a Santo high. Don't normally ride these kinds of highs very long. So I want to enjoy it while it lasts. Thanks for being here this week on Monster Kid Radio. Like I said at the top of this, I know it was slightly different. I tried to take a slightly different approach and bring you along for the weird Wednesday experience. I hadn't really done that in a while. And no, it wasn't really the in-depth coverage of a movie that we normally do, but I think it's a little different. You know, was it better, worse than before? I, I, I don't know. Let me know what you thought of this episode by calling in or writing in. Hey, Monsters in the Machine, drop that information again, would you? You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at... 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Of course, you can find this information over on our website as well, over at MonsterKidRadio.net. Our contact information is there. Links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, our Reddit, and our Twitch are all there. There are ways to get a hold of us. The easiest way to get a hold of me, though, is email or voicemail if you want something read or played on the show. We also try to put on there what the next episode is going to be about, but at this point, I have no idea. Uh, I'm trying to line up a recording with somebody. I haven't heard back from them yet this evening, but there's a chance. Fingers and tentacles crossed. I'll be recording tomorrow afternoon with someone, and if that happens, then next week I know what's coming out. I don't want to say what it is, though, because the past few times I've said it, I've kind of jinxed it. So I don't want to jinx it this time around. I just really hope it works out. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, but I'll come up with something. I always do. Thanks again for listening. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under... A Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. I really need to set that to music. The song Lucha Libre, though, that is copyright 2010, The Dead Elvi. You'll be able to hear it in its entirety here in a second. You can look up The Dead Elvi on Amazon. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can pick up the entire EP release of A Taste of Blood. It doesn't just have Lucha Libre on it, although that's my favorite song here. They also do a version of the Munsters theme. Ah. Oh. And a song called Goth Girls? I mean, you gotta check this album out. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. <laughs>